therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. These are the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. That's where we're going to hang out this morning. And I want you to think about this, that these are really strategic words for a strategic moment in the life of our church. You say, Tanner, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. God started to put a burden and a desire in not only my heart, but in the life of our family, the life of the Miller family, and, and then that became Abby's heart and the Chastine's heart. It's so cool how God brought a team together, and now he's bringing a bigger team together to get ministry done in all of you. And, and so as we were praying about the possibility of coming to plant a church in greater Boston, the primary motivating factor, other than the Spirit of God through the providence of God leading us to this city, was the fact that the need is so great in this city for gospel-centered churches. You see, when we came to visit the city, the most gripping images in our mind when we went back to North Carolina to pray about the possibility of planting a church here was walking around this great city. And you've done this, right? You've walked around this great city and you have seen these beautiful church building structures that are no longer churches. They've turned into essentially museums condominiums, people where, places where people live, but no longer where the people of God, the church, gathers to worship God. It's a sobering reality, and hopefully it's a great motivation for us to be a light where churches are dying now, a church is being born, and we can live our lives for God. But here's a, a sobering question we should ask, our, ask ourselves this morning. And that is this, is what will keep us from that? What will keep this church, Redemption Hill Church, alive and thriving and well? Not only 20 years from now or 50 years from now or 100 years from now. I mean, it should be our prayer that this church would endure till Jesus returns. Whether that's 500 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years, whatever, how many, however long he, he is patient with us and waits. That should be our prayer, right? So what's going to keep us from that? And I would say it's what Paul says here in this text. Never move away from the gospel. Just never move away from it. Not only in, in, in your embracing of it and belief in the good news of Christ, but then in your actual living your life based on the gospel. Never move away. And I think if we'll do that as a church, we're going to see God work in mighty, mighty, mighty ways. And so you, you know that there are so many things in life that we begin with the greatest of intentions and we begin very well and we kind of stick to the basics, the fundamentals and, and then there comes a point where maybe almost without us knowing it, we begin to drift. We begin to move away. And so Paul here in this, in this passage, these two verses, he's going to essentially say, look, how you started the Christian life it's how you need to continue in the Christian life. And that's the point of Paul's words here. After receiving the gospel, we must live a life consistent with the gospel. 
of Jesus Christ. That is the point that I want us to walk away with this morning. After receiving the gospel, we must live a life consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to unpack this for us, I want to just give us five points for our consideration this morning. All right? Number one, the gospel must be received. The gospel must be received. The gospel is a message. It's a message about God, man, and how we can relate to God. God is the righteous creator. He created us not just for no good purpose. He created us so that we might know him, live for him, glorify him, reflect him with our lives. Now, if we're being honest and we know this, is that we have not done that very well. We have not lived for God, and so the Bible tells us that we have sin in our life. We have deviated from God's will. We have not glorified him as we ought, and that sin then separates us from God, both spiritually and, and even one day eternally, that we would be separated from God because of this sin. But here's the good news, and that is that God does not leave us there. He sends Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sin, that through him, and his sacrifice, if we embrace it, if we repent from the way we were living our lives, living it for ourselves in this world, and then turn and say, man, Jesus, I'm embracing you, I'm following you, we can have life. That's the gospel, and all people must contend with this message. All people must either embrace this message, or they must reject this message. And so the gospel is a, is a message to be received, but then we should ask the question, you know, there seems like there are so many people in the church that appear to be Christians, but if you take a closer look at their life, they're no more than imposters, mere posers in the church. They, they appear to be Christians, but, but they're not really believers in Christ. So, well, how does this happen? I mean, how can we understand what a Christian is? Well, let's talk about what a Christian is not for just a moment. All right, let me lay just a few, a few statements out there. Number one, a person is not a Christian just because they say that they are. All right? A person is not a Christian just because they say they are. I mean, you know, someone might come to church and say, man, I, I'm a follower of Christ. And Jesus was says in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So just because we claim it doesn't mean that it's the real thing. Number two, a person is not a Christian just because they go to church. Have you thought about that? It's not, it's not just kind of gathering with other people on a Sunday or kind of engaging in the, the rituals, the practices of a church. I mean, just because you like to look at the stars and because you might like to watch the movie Armageddon, that does not make you an astronaut, does it? <laughs> Neither does just attending a church make you a Christian. So a person who's a Christian because they say they are a person who's a Christian just because they go to church. And then and thirdly, a person is not a Christian just because their family believes in God. I mean, there is a temptation to assume, well, I was born a Christian and my parents are believers in Christ and my grandmother, I mean, she is just a faith-filled person and surely even on the basis of like her praying for me, I'm like in this thing. And it doesn't work that way. Every person must either embrace or reject this message. And then even more shocking than that, number four, a person is not a Christian just because they believe in God. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, intellectual assent to some truth claims is not 
the same as saving faith in Christ. I mean, it's, it's conceivable that a person could say, yes, God is triune, check. Jesus is fully God, fully man, check. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, check. Jesus rose again on the third day, check. And while they might say these things are true, they might say, but I want no part of that because I'm not willing to give my life to him. There's a difference in embracing something with our mind and, and, and checking our heart at the door. Belief, true belief, saving faith accepts all of who Jesus is and his person, his will, his work. So it's not just enough to, to, to sign off on a set of truths. This, this is something we must embrace with our lives. And then, and then finally, number five, a person is not a Christian just because they are a moral person. And we need to lovingly remind people of this. I mean, if we were to walk the streets of Medford, I would say that the majority response, if we were to ask people, hey, what about you? You're not gonna live forever. None of us live forever, right? 100% of us will die one day. And if we were to say, hey, you know, if you believe in the afterlife, heaven and hell, why would God allow you to be with him? And what's the most common response? I'm a good person as if our good deeds can kind of outweigh our bad deeds one day, and that is the merit for getting us in. The Bible says that none is righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that breaking the least of God's commands is, is being guilty of, of his standard. And so we need to engage people at this level to say, we can never be good enough, and that's the message of the gospel. God has done what we could not do. And now through faith in him, we can have this new life. We can be right with God. And so what is a Christian? A Christian is a disciple of Christ. These words, disciple and Christian, they're synonymous. We like the definition that Stephen Smallman gives here. You'll see it on the screen. It, uh, he says, a, a disciple of Jesus is one who has heard the call of Jesus and has responded by repenting, believing the gospel, and following Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has heard the call of Jesus and responded by repenting, believing, and following Jesus. That's a disciple. In all of this, there is the assumption that these people are those who, as the next phrase in our text would say, confess Jesus as Lord. So the gospel not must, must not only be received, the gospel, number two, announces Jesus as Lord. You see that in verse six? Therefore, just as you received Christ, Jesus, as Lord, so walk in him. So th this, this idea of, of confessing Christ as Lord, this is the central confession of our faith. Jesus is, this is what Romans 10 says, therefore, if, 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 if anyone confesses Jesus with their mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. So we have to sign off on this, that the Jesus, we have to embrace, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. And that means that he now runs the show in our lives. He calls the shots. Our lives no longer belong to us, but they belong to him. See, I had a friend just a while back 
knows I'm a pastor, and he said, Tanner, you know what? I need some Jesus in my life. I need some Jesus in my life. And I didn't want to kind of blow him away. Maybe I should have been a little more bold. I'm guilty of that plenty of times. But I want to go back and have a conversation to say, hey, you don't need some Jesus. You need all of Jesus. You don't need part of Jesus to be your life. You need Jesus to be your life. This is an all or nothing deal. We either embrace Christ as king of our life or we go our own way and reject him as Lord. This is why Jesus was saying in Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel, they will find it. And so this is a costly commitment to say, Jesus is Lord, you reign in my life. And I think that a primary reason, I want to ask this lovingly, if you've never embraced Jesus as the Lord of your life, I want to ask you a very pointed question, and that's this. If you are currently rejecting Jesus as the Lord of your life, is it because you want to continue to call the, the shots in your life? This was the deal in the garden. I mean, this is at the root of all of our sin, even as believers now, that we want to call the shots. We want to take God off of his rightful place as king of our life, off the throne of, of our lives, and now we want to call the shots. And so a, a disciple is one who says, look, you're king. What you say goes. All of my life, everything changes now. My thoughts are his. My ambitions are his. My, my hobbies are his. My relationships are his. My time is his. It's all his now because Jesus is Lord. And so this is the gospel. The gospel must be received. The gospel announces that Jesus is Lord. And then number three, the gospel must be lived. I want you to think about this this morning. Receiving Christ is not the beginning of the Christian life. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of the Christian life, but it's, it's the beginning. So in other words, sometimes we think once we embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, that then we kind of have, you know, our eternal fate sealed, and we have, you know, our ticket to heaven kind of punched, and now we can kind of go off and do our own thing. But receiving Christ as Lord is not, is not the, the finish line of our faith, it's the starting line. And it's something that we are to never move away from. And so Paul says, look at this, just as you received him, so live in him, so walk in him. Do you get that? Do you see that in the text? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. This, this term walk, it's, it gets at a lifestyle, right? So the, Paul, the word that Paul uses over and over again to talk about how we live our life, how we get down on a day-to-day basis and just go about our life, our lifestyle, is that we need to do everything that we do in Him, in Jesus Christ. And I, I love how, if you, if you notice here this language, walk in him, maybe some of you who were with us in our very first message in this series, you remember that Paul prayed for the Colossians in this way, right? He, he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to what? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. 
So think about this. Do you find it interesting or curious that Paul encourages the very thing he prayed for? Let me suggest that this is a great example for us. When we pray for people, why don't we put some feet to those prayers and then encourage the very things that we're praying for? For example, God, I pray that these friends, X, Y, and Z, right here in Redemption Hill, would be filled with the knowledge of your will. How about I say, hey, you guys want to get together for coffee and we can do a little one-to-one Bible reading and, you know, just kind of attack God in his word and pursue God in his word together? I mean, that's a way to put some feet to your prayers. What about this? God, I pray that... that Uh, my friend's marriage would be strong. How about pulling out your cell phone and, you know, sending a text, hey, man, how are you loving your spouse this week? Little things like this put feet to our prayers. And this is what Paul's doing. He's prayed for it, and now he's saying, look, go do it. We need to encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. And so we are to walk in Christ. Christ, as we studied last week, Christ is in us and we are in him. And now everything about our life is controlled by who he is, his person and his work. So what is the point of verse six? I love what Dick Lucas says. He was a pastor in London for many years. He says this, all growth and progress in the Christian life must be entirely consistent with its beginnings. All growth and progress in the Christian life must be entirely consistent with its beginnings. So in other words, the way that we come to faith is the way that we live out our faith. How do we come to faith? It's by God's grace, right? We are saved by grace through faith. So that's day one of the Christian life. What about day 100? By grace through faith. What about day 1,000? By grace through faith. What about day 2,000? 5,000? It's by grace through faith. And it took me so long to get this. I alluded to this last week. It took me so long to understand this. That grace is not what only gets us into the Christian life, but grace sustains us and, and keeps us going each day of our Christian life where we depend on him every single day in his grace. Titus 2, 11 and 12, say this so well. Paul writes there, for the grace of God, don't miss this, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. There it is, we, we're entered, we, he's, it's been brought to us. Now, does grace stop there? No, Paul. Paul says it trains us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So grace has been brought to us and it gives us salvation and then grace also trains us or teaches us to continue in the faith dependent on that very same grace. And this is exactly what Paul says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. I mean, Paul just spends so much time in the New Testament hammering this thought to new believers. I mean, read the book of Galatians. Have you ever been kind of upset with someone? Have you ever been kind of heated? I I experienced this my second year of seminary. Um, God had just sent Marsha Harris to Wake Forest, and she was my girl, okay? That's my wife now. And uh, and Marsha worked at this little deli called Over the Falls Deli, right near the seminary there. And, And so that was just how she was doing her thing through school. And and it just so happens that she had this coworker 
who wanted to be, shall we say, a little more than a coworker, who also knew that there was someone who was already more than a coworker. All right. Even though I didn't work there, you get the point. And so, so I was, you know, trying to exercise Christ in me, right? I hear about this, and he's kind of dropping little hints, you know, like, oh, you look so nice today, and, you know, man, I, I, don't, I don't even remember now all that he said, but it was, it, she would come, you know, and tell me this later, and, I, you know, my temperature's rising. I'm trying to be patient, Christ in me. I'm trying to, you know, and, and the thing of it is, this guy's a believer, too. I mean, he's a brother in Christ, and so I'm just trying to be, you know, patient and it came to a point where, I mean, it just kept happening. Even he was so forward, he even said, you know, like, if you were single, you know, wouldn't, be, wouldn't you want to go to this concert with me? Things like this. And so at this point, I hear, you know, I mean, I was ready to go confront my friend in Jesus' name. But thankfully, he actually called me before this, and we had no confrontation but needless to say I got heated over that you can imagine right I guess what Paul gets heated about Paul gets heated about people beginning in the gospel and then leaving the gospel that's the book of Galatians he says I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel of grace and then he spends six chapters just unpacking what that looks like after beginning the spirit are you so foolish to try to do your work in the flesh. And so we have to continue in grace. We begin in grace. We continue in grace. It's all about grace. All of life is all about grace. We want to talk about grace again and again and again at this church because it's the only way that we can live our life for God. It's by grace. In verse 7, Paul then is going to give us four descriptors of how we continue to live in him. So our first, fourth uh, statement this morning is that the gospel produces transformation. We see this as he continues on in verse seven. He says, rooted in him and built up in him. The, the, the New American Standard Bible captures the, 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 the verb tense when it says, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him. So we're rooted in Christ, this kind of agricultural metaphor. We're rooted in Christ, and now we're built up in Christ. We grow in grace. And how do we do it? We do it through a daily dependence upon the gospel. So I want to just keep hammering this here for just a a minute. Uh, The gospel provides the foundation for everything in our life. So this is, I mean, if if you're not a believer, I want you to hear this. If you are a believer, I want you to hear this. The gospel is the foundation. There's this awesome quote by Jerry Bridges. He wrote this book called The Discipline of Grace. And, and, and this is just a transformative uh, uh, way to, to understand this. He says this, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need for God's grace. We need God's grace all the time, on our best days, on our worst days. When we're really living for God and we're flying high and we're filled with the Spirit, and man, when we're just blowing in and we haven't spent any time with the Lord in the past month and we don't know what happened to our spiritual life, but it is just almost non-existent and we need grace just as much on both of those days. So the gospel is the foundation of our spiritual lives and the gospel is the motivation for our spiritual lives. 
I want you to think about this, and this, this, this just kind of hits home. This is where the rubber meets the road of our daily life. Why do you pursue God? Why do you, why do you want to follow him? Why do you want to keep his, his commands? What motivates you to live your life for God? I want you to think about this. There are probably two motivating factors, two primary motivating factors. You will either be motivated by guilt or you'll be motivated by the gospel. Think about a few of these statements here, all right? The, the guilt-motivated obedience versus gospel-motivated obedience. The one will say, this is what I'm supposed to do for God, and the other will say, this is what I get to do for God. One will say, man, I'm gonna do this so that God will love me, and the other says, I'm gonna do this because God, because God loves me. One says, this is my duty. The other says, this is my delight. I get to do this for God. I get to live for God. I get to keep his commands. It's a joy to me. The gospel turns burdens into joys. And then finally, it's, it's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. What I can do to earn my way to God is the question on the street. I'm a good person. I'm a good person, so God will accept me. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And so this week, in your Christian life, in your pursuit of God, in your effort to so live in him, are you gonna be motivated by guilt or motivated by the gospel of God's grace? The gospel is the foundation and the motivating factor in our lives. So we are rooted in Christ. We're built up in him. It's the song we sang just before corporate prayer. From the inside out, we want to obey from the inside out, right? So why do we love God and love others? Why? Is it because we're supposed to? Or is it because, as John says in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us? Husbands, wives, why, why are you motivated to be faithful to your spouse? You see how faithful Christ has been to you. Why are we motivated to give generously? It's because Christ has given us so much. Though he was rich, yet he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8. The generosity of God motivates us to be generous with others, generous with our time, generous with our finances, generous with you, fill in the blank. It's the generosity. I mean, this is is gospel-motivated obedience. Everything. Is there anything left untouched that the gospel should not motivate? Your studies, your perseverance, your endurance, your work, it all should be motivated by the gospel. The gospel changes everything. So we're, we're rooted in him, we're built up in him, and then it says established as you were taught. So we get this picture that, that our faith is cemented in Christ, that, that, that we aren't as volatile as you know, a stock market chart where we're just up and down and up and down and crashing out and kind of climbing back up and crashing again. I mean, we have stability in our life. We're established because we stick to the teachings just as we're taught. This is what it looks like to to live in him, to live in the gospel. So when people observe your life, is there any room for doubt that you belong to Christ? in your attitudes, in your concern for people, and how you display Christ to them? I mean, can they see it in your life? 
And this is the privilege for us as Christians to live our lives in that way where people can see that we've rightly understood, rightly received, and rightly live our lives for God. And and then finally, the the, the last uh, truth about the gospel is that the gospel only produces transformation, but a piece of that transformation is the gospel produces gratitude. The gospel produces gratitude. Look at what Paul says. He gives another great picture. He says that, that we should be abounding in thanksgiving. It's the picture of, of overflowing with Thanksgiving. It's almost as if you're, you know, at uh, a restaurant and you're getting a fountain drink and you're in a conversation with someone and, you know, you're filling up your Coke or tea or your lemonade or water, you fill in the blank, and you're just talking and it just, just keeps going. And it's overflowing and running over and running over. And Paul says this is what your life should look like in terms of gratitude to God. It should just be pouring out of your life. It should be pouring out of your mouth. It should be, God, you are amazing. I can't get over the fact that you love me, that you would relate to me in this way, that you would give me every blessing in life. Your goodness, your provision, it's all from you. None of it. I mean, what in our life is from the hand of God? Everything, right? Everything in our lives is from his gracious hand. And so how do we respond? We just say, God, thank you. Thank you for loving me so. And so as we conclude our time in God's word this morning, I want to encourage us to respond. Number one, for for those who may be here this morning exploring what it means to follow Christ, I want to encourage you and plead with you and beg with you to receive Christ as Lord receive Christ as Lord. You say, well, well, Tanner, there are all these kind of barriers in my life that, that I'm not so sure about this Christianity thing. I'm not sure that God will accept me because I, I, know, I, I know I'm not clean before him. And so I'm gonna clean my life up first before I go to God. And that is as nonsensical as taking a bath before you take a shower. Okay? We don't clean ourselves up before we go to God. We just go to God so that he will clean us up. That's the gospel. Then there are intellectual barriers, right? Man, I don't understand this, and how could God do this, and how do we make sense of this? If you have those questions, please come and talk to us. We know those questions aren't answered in a 10-minute conversation, but we want to engage if you have those types of questions and wrestling with questions that might be barriers for you embracing Christ. What about uh, the, the barrier that this doesn't look that appealing? And I would just maybe say to you, maybe you haven't seen the real thing. You say, well, maybe this isn't as appealing as this, and you just fill in the blank with whatever this is. My pursuit of money, my pursuit of fame, my pursuit of pleasure and sex, or whatever that this might be. And I would say that Jesus is better to taste of Christ, to know that we were made for him, not all these lesser pursuits, then these lesser pursuits, when they're rightly ordered, are all awesome in him. Anyway, why? Because we're made for him, not for these other things that are created goods. And then some would just say the cost is too great. 
I mean, you understand. I mean, you get it. You get that Jesus calls me to live my life in a certain way and the cost is too great. I care more about what people think about me. I care more about my reputation here and I'm just not willing to follow. And if that's you, I want to say the cost is great. It surely is great, but the rewards are greater. And Jesus says this again and again and again in the Gospels. Yes, there's a cost to discipleship, but the rewards are even greater, both in this life and in the life to come. So if you never received Christ, receive him like today, now, by repenting of the way that you've lived your life, turning away from the way that you've lived your life and putting your faith in Christ, casting yourself upon him. That's what a Christian does. And then finally, if you have received Christ, then I want to encourage you again to respond in light of the gospel in everything that you do. So here's some repetition for you, okay? We talked about this last week. Let's talk about it again. I hope that you've lived this out this week. And if you have, then I hope you're even further motivated because you've seen how God has worked in your life to live it out again, all right? It's our famous word, aptat, that another pastor came up with. What does that mean? Well, let's look at it real quick. Number one, acknowledge that you cannot do this on your own. All right, this is the first step, living in the power of the gospel, living with Christ in you. Number one, the first step is to acknowledge, God, I can't do this. I can't deal with this this issue in my life. I can't deal with this temptation. I need you, as we sing about this morning. Acknowledge you can't do it on your own. P, pray and ask God to do it in you. Ask God to help you. Ask him to fill you with his spirit so that you would resist whatever temptation is that you're faced with whether it's the temptation just to kind of be silent about your faith or to give in to, you know, whatever, whatever it may be in your life. T, trust in God's promises. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness so we can trust in his promises. A, act in the strength God supplies. This is what Paul talks about. I I struggle, but how do I do it with all his power that that he works within me? So we act in the strength that he supplies. And then finally, once again, we abound in thanksgiving. We thank God for his provision for what he has done for us. And so as we wrap up our time in the word today, the encouragement is to receive Christ, receive him again and again and again, and rejoice in who he is. Rejoice in what he has done for us. And we're going to sing in response by thanking him for who he is in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time in your word this morning. And we pray that you would help us to live our lives in a way that reflects the gospel. Lord, would you motivate us to be pursuing your will and your ways because your grace is enough and your grace strengthens us to live our lives for you each day. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.